Welcome back to the College Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Ben Jordan. Just a quick shout out to everyone again who's been listening. We've had great support of the podcast so far. We actually just came out with a Twitter account. Go check us out on Twitter. The handle is College Conversations Podcast. Uh, If you're listening, I'd love to hear anyone's feedback on the show or just uh, add us on Twitter and say hi. And it's nice to know that people are listening. Anyways, today I'm joined by a wonderful guest, a wonderful friend of mine as well, Mr. John Bobby, who actually was going to be the first episode of this podcast, but then I accidentally deleted the entire episode. Um, <laughs> my mistake. But John is a student here at the University of Minnesota, doing a lot of different things. And one of the things he does, though, the reason why I like to have him on the podcast, because he writes uh, for the University of Minnesota newspaper. And yeah, John, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, what's up? My name is John from around here, from Blaine, Minnesota. I like writing. I don't know what I want to do yet after school, but figuring it out. Yeah, but I figured for today's topic, we'd talk about journalism and college and like hobbies versus careers and whatnot. But how did you get into writing into the point you are now where you're writing for the newspaper? Um, I guess I really liked writing in high school. Uh, I, those, those are always my favorite classes. As a kid, I just kind of vacuumed up anything. I'd, I'd read everything. And I was, when I'd eat cereal, I'd read my cereal box 10 times. I don't know. Just writing just gives me kind of feeling that I really like, especially when you're reading really good writing, just transcends. You have that image in your brain and you read, sometimes you'll read like a story or read an article and it'll stay with you for a long time. Just like I can remember specific things like I've read in the past that I really liked and like sometimes where I was when I read it or like what line, like where the line was on the page. Like sometimes that like line will just sit in my brain and kind of toss around like a washing machine for a couple of days. Right. And when, do you, do you usually read more books or are you reading more online news sources nowadays for fun? Um, I don't read enough books. I think, I think I need to read more books. Uh, books, they're like a different kind of experience cause it's like a full immersion. It's not like dipping your toe in and you're not kind of getting a quick fix. A book is like having your mind just fully immersed in something where you're thinking about the plot, you're thinking about all of these, like the world that the book creates and you're fully in that. Um, but unfortunately, I don't read books enough. I, I read too many like just uh, like blogs, magazines, things like that, like shorter things. But I do really appreciate like a longer, longer story. Right. And I've noticed, too, when you're reading a book versus an article, you've probably noticed this as well, is that when you're reading a book, you really almost you try to read it line for line. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't always sometimes you kind of skim off and the next thing you know, yeah. you've read a whole page without really reading it. Mm-hmm. But if you're reading an online article, you have more of a tendency, or at least I do, to just kind of scroll through the whole thing. Yeah, you look really at the center it. and just move down. Yeah, so I feel like with articles, I'm not always taking it in. But, I mean, the goal of articles is to come up with a nice title and possibly image to hook people in for most things i'd imagine though as well well not really no i mean that's just like obviously like buzzfeed like something like that like obviously but most stuff written online it's for that body where the author wrestles with something or 
tries to say something. But you'd still say the title is, is uh, I mean, is a business in the end. Most online, I guess. Prints. But um, well, I mean, they're they're a business, yeah. But the bit most of the content comes from like, I mean, when you read journalism, like you'll read an article, you'll notice that the first, it's I think it's called like the graph. But the first probably, first usually first paragraph is literally just a summary of the article. Like once you notice it, you'll. You won't forget it again, but it always the first part of the article will basically summarize the whole entire article, um, and the article will like deep dive after that. But um, I think that and people I think readers really value uh, like things being long and things being complicated. Like there's obviously BuzzFeed and that stuff kind of like survives, but I think at the end of the day, like what most of what people consider like real is real online writing is are things that is I don't know medium format or long format like. There's a, a website that's really successful now. It's called Longform. What they do is they do, they like uh, publish, they publish f- like for themselves and also like republish stuff from like just various online blogs, just really long things. Like they even tell you the time. So they'll say like half an hour, 45 minutes, like how long of a read something is. And they're really successful because people really admire and they really appreciate that kind of writing. Also like they have like a, a podcast where they feature other writers and it'll just be two writers talking about a topic and the writer will go into their craft it's a really fascinating podcast what are they writing about on the on the website uh so what long form does is they republish good long pieces of writing so a lot of times they'll republish things from like just online magazines some of my favorite stories you can find on on long form uh one of my favorites um uh, one of my favorite talks they had was with this writer from the new york times called rukmini like it's like Kalahichi or something like that. And what she does is she covers ISIS for the New York Times. And she has a really, like, fascinating, like, reporting technique. So it's it's cool to hear f- from the inside of a craft. Interesting. I haven't heard of long form. Because are you limited in the amount of words you're allowed to write for your newspaper column? Yeah, so 600 words. 600 That's basically words. how many words can fit in that space. Like, it's literally, like, physical space on a newspaper. And we just kind of t- translate that into a word limit. Is that tough to do or what's like your process when you're about to write for your column and what, what column are you writing for as well? But like, what's the process you go through from start to finish? Um, probably what I usually do is I kind of come up with a topic. I kind of have like an in on it, like what I think about it. Then I try to just read as much as I can, like over time, over the week, just to kind of get those thoughts in my brain. So it's kind of like organic and I'm thinking about it and it's, it's there and I'm kind of, in my brain, I'm like running all this specific like different ways of looking at this one thing, and once I do that, and I have an I have enough kind of like background because I, I think background is really important. I can't just kind of like I'm not somebody who can just say this is bad, this is good, just like from some internal working of my mind. It's got to come through just like getting the foundation in. Once I have that foundation, and then I kind of have enough familiarity with my operating environment, and I can kind of take a good take a good stance on an issue because you otherwise you're kind of just being misinformed and you're just kind of being a high school that's like i know everything about the world here's my opinion on it mm. and are you a person who does outlines or starts in like the middle of the writing or do you typically start from no. the start and then end well, a lot of times i i try to st- i usually start from the beginning it's like kind of a bad habit what i find out is starting from the beginning it's often the middle or like the end and oftentimes like sentences or wor- like words will come to my brain and st- i try to like not hold anything back i just kind of let it all come out and then w- one of the best feelings is once you've kind of 
given all you've got, all the writing is like out of your brain, then you're trying to like fit it together. Like you have all these pieces and you're trying to craft that into 600 words. And you're looking like what's relevant? How can, how, how does this power the story forward? Do you have a favorite thing, John, that you've written about in the past that really stands out? Um, I think one of my more favorite topics is uh, I talked to, I, I remember I saw a BuzzFeed news story. So BuzzFeed, there's like the website. They also have BuzzFeed News, which is actually like a real serious newspaper. And they do like real serious journalism. Like it's not clickbait. And it's really like an admirable thing they do. And um, this BuzzFeed uh, news story was about how in certain states, um, the the laws against police having sex with sub- suspects is actually the laws are actually really soft. And there isn't much of like uh, in, in most states like it isn't considered rape for a police officer to like have sex with somebody a suspect with somebody in handcuffs, even though that's like obviously like no consent. Some and like so most states it's just like an administrative charge, like a one year, like you're not performing your your duties. And um, the reason why the reporter did the story was they did. They mentioned like a, a girl, like an 18 year old girl who got stopped by police because she was just smoking weed in her car and the police officers ended up having like sex with her, like in the back of like a police van. Both of them did, two uh, two guys. And uh, basically the, they were trying to, the prosecutor was trying to convict them of rape because like this is obviously like not like and the whole defense that the police officers had was like, oh, it's consensual, it's consensual when really like consent can never happen in that kind of situation like there's no other way of putting it like somebody has handcuffs and the other person has the keys like there's a power imbalance you can never make this right but right that that's crazy i haven't heard about that and that's something you ended up writing about yeah so i I talked about how in many in minnesota we also don't have a state law about this and I like reached out to like a lawyer from the university student student legal service, and I like read up about this, and it's it's really fascinating to see what the how the this is kind of like not a loophole, but like a hole in the law where they you kind of give cops too much leeway and power. And when after I ended up writing that, um, a state senator from St. Paul, she ended up emailing, emailing me, and she asked me if like if I didn't want to testify about this issue because. Uh, she was working in legislation about this to kind of fix this this hole in the state's laws. Well, what did you respond back to? I said, yeah, and then she never followed up with me. But wow. it was just cool that she, somebody read that and sent that to me. Yeah, that is cool. That's got to be one of the best feelings probably as a writer is mm-hmm. when someone reads your stuff and then talks to you about it. I mean, it's the same with this podcast, I yeah. guess. If, uh, if you get feedback, whether it's good or bad feedback, I think it's all important. But it's definitely a good feeling to know that someone is reading what you're writing yeah yeah it's it's definitely a good film you know like i've been screaming out into the void for two years and somebody was listening <laughs> do you get much interaction with um people? um no not really um sometimes people email people don't when i started people used to email me a lot and now people don't really email me um one time in this guy this older guy emailed me and i looked his name up on google and this guy was like a professional just like complainer against the government like this guy was like honestly i was like this man is a true u.s citizen (laughs) like i looked up his bio and um he he got his name was in the newspaper because like during the 70s he was against the draft and he's a law student at the u of m and he's like he didn't want the the vietnam war to keep going on and he was against the draft so he and like a priest and like somebody else they broke into like a draft office where they had like all the files like saying when people would be drafted 
in the draft numbers, and he, he and a priest and like some other guy, they broke into a draft office and were just lighting draft cards on fire just to make sure that like, because once they're burned, like that's gone. They're, they're not like in a computer somewhere. And he was doing that, and then he got arrested and he got a felon. So he's a registered felon. And then later, when he was taking classes at the U of M, he would he painted the word he painted the letter F on his head, and he he would like audit classes for fun, and he'd have the F on his like bald head, and everyone wondered like why is there an F, and it was like his way of like signifying that like I'm a felon, and because the university they have you they, the university like requires you to tell the university that you're a felon, mm-hmm. and his whole thing was like against that. And so to kind of protest that, he wrote an F on his forehead. Wow. He also, like, there's, like, a Minneapolis, like, police commission. And he, like, served on that. And he'd also, like, write a lot of letters. Like, anytime there was kind of an issue in, um, uh, an issue with the police, he'd just fire off, like, a million letters, like, complaining about it, like, trying to do something. Or in the police commission, he was always complaining about, like, police power, police brutality. It's pretty interesting. And what was he writing to you about? You just randomly got an email from this guy? Or? I wrote a letter about um, NCAA cheating and uh, how like more should be done about it. And um, he emailed me and he told me that President Kaler was actually on the, bo- the board of governors for Division I uh, sports, uh, like on the issue for the NCAA, like about college sports. Interesting. Well, that, that is definitely a cool contact mm-hmm. that you got. So what do you, when you think of journalism, and I didn't even know that BuzzFeed had a, a tr- actual like real news thing, mm-hmm. but is there much news sources that you can still trust these days? Or, cause there's a lot of issues going around with trust and people are worried about what news sources they can trust or people are just taking anything as a fact or if they hear something even from a friend or family member they automatically assume it's a fact. But how do you know what news sources are really telling you truth? Yeah. I guess I think most I think most things are extremely trustworthy. Like journalists are good at their job and they are I think there's definitely some problems, but like nobody is like lying to you. Like nobody is deliberately I think in some places they are they know that they're not telling the full picture. And th- those kind of places are obvious, like sometimes at, at Fox News and like Breitbart and like just some different like outlets, it's obvious that like it's not, they know that they're te- not telling you the full picture and they're fine with that. But at most like newspapers, local newspapers, national newspapers, it's not that way at all. So you, you don't think that, I mean, maybe it's that they're leaving a lot of things out and selectively mm-hmm. choosing. Yeah. That could be more of the big problem rather than. Like telling lies straight out. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that happens, and part of that problem is because local journalism is kind of slowly dying, and there's less people that are there to cover the, the small stories, and so it became it becomes a, like we're pushing all this duty onto like the national newspapers of like you have to cover this, you have to cover this because like nobody else will, and it's like we, reporters like they can't work twenty four seven like they there's only so much you can fit on the newspaper there's only so much you can actually do. And now we're running to that problem of like, there's so much to cover more than ever, and there's less people to cover it. Do you think it's possible though to eliminate bias in writing, or is there always going to be a bias? I mean, there always is, but that's why you I don't know read multiple sources or you um, try to be aware of something. Just keep reading. Like, don't read one thing and finish. Just read as many things as you can. Yeah, because we've done interesting comparisons in some of my classes where you take. Um, 
a topic and you read about it from two very different news mm-hmm. sources. And it's really interesting when you do that type of activity because you see uh, one article you can read and get a completely different feeling. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, an emotion to it at yeah. the end. Whereas if you read another article, it could com- it could paint a completely different picture in your mind and make you feel completely different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like definitely, I think that's, that's definitely true. It reminds me of um, just like different newspapers and stuff have different audiences and they're all making specific news for a specific person. Like for the Star Tribune, they're making news for the Minnesota resident. So when they cover like national news, it's kind of specifically for like Minnesota or like Financial Times or like a financial newspaper, one of the biggest newspapers in the world. Um, I guess uh, something that sometimes is a problem uh, is that sometimes they cater too much to their audiences, like these specific newspapers. Like, but I mean, you know, you have to just have to be aware. You have to be aware of like where you're getting your information from, and sometimes there's a benefit of like catering to a specific audience. Like, to um, maybe I think newspapers like let's say the New York Times shouldn't like necessarily cater towards a specific audience. But sometimes it's like inevitable, like for the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal, it's kind of catered towards like a business audience. That's like how they, that's why they choose the issues they cover and stuff like that. So you just have to be aware of that and know how and why you're getting your your information. One of the things too that I've noticed within the last year or two that really annoys me Mm -hmm. is that it seems like before, just two or three years ago, you could go on to any news site and read whatever you wanted. But now I'm noticing that I'll click on a lot of articles and this big uh, pop-up will come up about how I have to subscribe to the online version of the newspaper mm-hmm. and pay money. How did that all start? Do you have any idea? Well, it started because that works of getting people to subscribe. Uh, people, journalism just isn't physically sustainable unless you get people to pay. Like That's the, like, the central problem, getting people to pay. And that's just one of the ways that they've kind of found is it's really controversial. Some people believe it shouldn't be that way, that you shouldn't have to pay for news or like truth about the world. But that's kind of the fiscal reality of journalism today that you have to, you either you pay or no one will. Because I mean, ever, otherwise people just keep changing the tab to inca- the window to incognito. And sometimes it's necessary uh, to create, uh, to keep journalism alive, that you have you have to get money flowing in. And unless, unless you do that, then journalism can't survive. And so that's just the one, one way that the one way that they've adapted, as of late, like recently, is just getting people to pay, and that's one way. And so, some people don't like it, but it's kind of the way that it is. Yeah, because I suppose the only other way they could really make money is off of ad revenue. I'm not sure how much they make mm-hmm. that. And some people would, I think. Right, another appeal the, is that the if problem is though with ad revenue is either a lot of people use AdBlock, and then right now, uh, Facebook and Google kind of have a monopoly on all advertising, and since they have a monopoly on, aver- on like online advertising, they basically can charge whatever price they want, and what they've done is kind of uh, vacuum up all the profit there that would normally like go to like the journalism company, like to the that would normally go to like the newspaper. And they're basically taking that money for themselves. And so because of that kind of uh, monopoly on ad money, then that's less money for journalism and that's less money for the newspaper. And newspapers, I imagine, too, have been dying out for a Mm -hmm. while now. 
But interestingly, too, there's been an increase in viewership to people getting podcasts from or people getting news from podcasts, right? Because I know it's really popular for a lot of people to listen to the, I think, uh, NPR does one Mm -hmm. and the New York Times does one, too. Right. Yeah. What do you know about those? Um, Yeah, because I think there's definitely like a hole in the market for journalism that you can play like play whenever you want just with the click of a button and audio in an audio form because you can you can do a million things while you're listening to podcasts like you can't like you can't let's say clean your clean your kitchen while like reading an article like it's not going to happen but you can listen to to basically an article over like just through your headphones through the airpods while you're cleaning that kitchen so it allows for a way to experience stories while still still doing other things Right, and I know they try to purposely make them like 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the goal is, right, to have people listening to it during their commute or, like you said, when they're doing something else. But have you listened to any of those personally before? Um, I I don't really listen to those podcasts. I don't listen to podcasts as much as I used to. I feel like now I just have too little time. And then back then, like in the summertime and like in high school, I kind of had like too much time. I just like this summer I'd get home from work and I'm like, all right, I need to kill like three, four hours until I go to bed. Yeah. So I just go on walk every day. I go on a walk and listen like two hours of podcast or a day, an hour of podcasts. I did a lot of walking back then, but, um, uh, yeah, so I don't listen to them as much and I, yeah, I don't really, I've never listened to the daily. And so I, I don't know. I used to, I, cause I like when I listen to podcasts, I want stories. Like I want not necessarily like a quick rundown of the news because I mean I listen to NPR I can hear it there but basically like um, I want to hear a story like I want to hear somebody talking about something that they went through or like an exploration of a topic or, like them going to one of my one of my favorite ever stories on the radio is um. it's called Chasing After Antelope and it's by a guy named Scott Carrier and Scott Carrier's voice is just like one of those that's made for radio and it's not made for radio in like the way that it's like it's a perfect like radio voice it's just got it's made for telling stories and his voice just has like it adds a whole layer of like emotional depth when Scott Carrier tells stories and one of his stories is his brother was a a PhD student in like biology something zoology and his brother had a weird theory that the reason humans started to walk like in evolution started to go from walking on all fours to standing up and being like I think it's by by paddle whatever of standing up and walking was because they started to chase their food that was his theory. Like that's why humans uh, started like standing, is so they could run after food. And everyone was like, "Dude, that's a that's a whack ass thing. Like a, no chance. Like there's other reasons why humans started standing." He's like, "No." And so what he did, so him and his brother uh, Scott Carey and his brother, the PhD student, his they both like running, and so they decided like, "Hey, so there's antelope like out in like the the uh, there's like." I don't know if they're called plains, but just like big, vast, like plains that they have like in the mountains mm-hmm. uh, in Utah. And there's antelope that live there and it gets really, really hot there. Like while the sun is out, cause there's no shade, there's nothing. And so the theory that his brother tried to prove was, all right, so what if we get, a, we get enough of us and we run after these antelope until they just get so tired that they die. Cause like antelope are not meant to run for long times like we are. Like they're really good at sprinting. They'll beat a human every time, but they're really bad at like going like on a marathon or going on a really long mm-hmm. time. So Scott Carrier, the PhD student brother, and they also recruited another friend, 
and they go out there and they literally like they'll choose an antelope like in the they chose an antelope in the flock and they just ran over or they r- ran after this antelope it, it got really hard because the antelope would like mix together so you couldn't tell which one is the one you're chasing yeah. so you have to choose one and stick to that to make sure that it gets as tired as possible and so they ran after this antelope and they they just would run after it and like during the heat of the day so the hottest part of the day when the sun is highest um and they did that and it was just like a, a funny ass story he told of them running after antelope in the utah like plains under like the, the hot desert sun and they said like they uh, yeah, they, so what that happened is they ran after it, and eventually it just gets so tired, and you you find it. So like it went off into like the brush, and they found it in the brush. And they literally came up to it, and it was so tired, it literally just fell over, because just from running after it for an entire day. And humans are better at running all day than antelope are. And it, they tired it out, and you you grab you have a spear, and it literally just it'll fall down in front of you you can kill it and that's now that's like the accepted theory of evolution that's why that's why most scientists think humans stand but he just told that funny story and he's got this like unique unique voice he's really good and that's just one of my favorite outer stories and that podcasting i think is best for that not necessarily like quick rundown of the news that's just not not how i like it maybe that's my specific like preference but i like those kind of stories that are just an hour long of somebody telling you about running in the Utah desert. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even know that humans could run as fast, uh, was able to catch up to mm-hmm. antelopes. I had no idea yeah, about that. Yeah, and it's that. like, like, it's like, that's why I think he was so successful in that story is that you're learning about running after antelope in the desert while also, just, it's like a scientific, you're learning something like science but it's also just such a freaking good story because the way he tells it of like, with his voice and then like them, the best part is when he's just like, telling you how crazy of an idea like people thought it was and the part especially the part of when they when they find the antelope in the brush and it literally just falls in front of them because it's too tired yeah that, that is interesting you're right there's like learning that goes along with the mm-hmm. storytelling of the podcast which makes it i think storytelling podcasts are are currently the most listened to mm-hmm. podcasts out there um even people there's a big niche for like horror podcasts yeah and that kind of things, but any sort of storytelling in general. I've listened to a few of them. Um, I like them as well. I've listened to a few travel ones before. Yeah. Those are pretty interesting, but yeah, some people, you're right, they really have a good voice for the storytelling podcasts, and they know when to pause, Mm -hmm. and they know, and a lot of them add kind of cool effects, too. Yeah. Like noises. Yeah, it's really an art of making. Like, there's a podcast, Radio Lab. They're really good at making just things that sound really good or this another podcast called love and radio and they just their podcasts are just like fit like they're soothing to listen to they're so nice they like keep the sound effects like to the minimum and it's just like it almost feels like a naked podcast just because the voice just just the voice usually and just somebody like there's not really a narrate like there's never like a it's not ever kind of like somebody guiding a story it's just somebody talking to a mic just like one of their whoever they're covering just talking to that mic for an hour yeah if you could do a podcast john what would you what would your podcast be mm-hmm. have you ever wanted to start one or i wanted to i guess what's really interesting to me is um i guess just i, I don't have i don't have any i think original ideas for park for podcasting today i'd I don't think I've I like I just like general ones like this American Life where you can get everything. Like there's some episodes during the Iraq War they were really good at writing stuff about Guantanamo Bay. Like they were leading the charge. 
of writing stories about Guantanamo Bay, like of the torture happening, just how fucked up it was. And at the same time, one, one another one of my favorite stories is of uh, it's a short. It was like fiction, and they just uh, had a fiction story on of um, uh, this guy that gets an armadillo, and it's his story of he has like an autistic brother and. The armadillo, the narrator, and his autistic brother, like the story of the, th- the three of them, because their parents die when they're young, mm-hmm. and the older brother has to raise his autistic brother, and the, the armadillo that they find one day on the side of the highway. It's one of the most, it's like one of the best stories I listened to. I still remember where I was, like when I listened to that story. Do you remember the, did I send you that uh, story of uh, the Jap- of Japan? The Somebody buys like a phone booth, and they put it out just like in the countryside in Japan, and they tell everyone like, hey, like after the after the tsunami, they tell like anyone like, hey, this is your chance to like call the people like you lost, and yeah. it's one of the saddest stories, isn't that? Yeah, you did send me that story, and I I slightly remember that, but I also remember the one you sent me um, last summer about the the place in South America or Mexico, mm-hmm. yeah, where the entire town got murdered. Yeah, do you remember that? What what, what podcast was that even? That was This American Life. That's just the. V- the diversity they have of like subjects and that that episode you're talking about is about um the central kind of th- story like the the in that they have is this guy is wondering about his past and uh, i don't want to spoil it too much but he just looks into his past and he finds out he was involved in like a, a village that one day the it was during like a war in uh, i think it was el salvador during the civil war there and the rebels came and they said like i know that actually like a government like the the equivalent of our Navy SEALs. Uh, they came there and they were very cruel. Like people knew them for the cruelty and they were trained by the, they were trained by the U.S. So all they, they like new U.S. Tactics, tactics. They had U.S. stuff, U.S. guns. And they came to this village and they thought that there was that the villagers were like harboring the rebels and that they had rebels there and they had rebel guns. The villagers didn't, but the the special like forces agents didn't believe them and they literally massacred an entire village. There was like nobody left in that village. The okay, one of the they have the figure of a dad. The dad leaves. He goes to like visit his family, like uh, to visit his sister in another town. And he comes back, and there's nobody in the village because everybody's dead. Yeah, it was one of the craziest podcasts I've listened to, probably. And, and that the ending is so good, right? Yeah, the ending is really good. I highly recommend anyone to listen to it. I'm not. I don't exactly remember the title. Yeah, it's called "What Happened at Dos Eros." What happened at Dos? Yeah, have a good memory. It's spelled like D O S space E R R O S. I think. Yeah, is this American Life? Is that the most popular? Yeah, it's podcast? the most popular podcast. They they kind of like led the charge on like storytelling, like they were the people who kind of made it excellently. And I guess now they're like not as. Because there's so many podcasters. Anything you can want a podcast for, it's available now. So maybe they're not as cool, but like people still, they're they're popular. It's like, I guess why, why people love like Mercedes or BMW cars. Like it's not that they're like, that there's definitely like a status part to it, but it's also because they're just good ass cars. Like they're fun to drive. They're, there's a reason why they're so popular. And I think that's why This American Life is so popular because it's literally just, they have some of the best people on the show, like the contributors. They pay their people well, and they hire the best storytellers. A lot of the people that are famous in, pop, in podcasting today got their start at This American Life. Interesting. I don't even know how old that is either, but... It's, it's, it's like from... It's been around since like 97, 98, oh, 99. Oh, really? Yeah. It's that old? Yeah. Wow. They have like six... They're pushing 700 episodes. 
Wow, I didn't know that. And they make a episode usually. They they did they do reruns a lot. They like feature other podcasts, but they yeah every, a story every week. It's like I I remember the like the intro. It's like it's like uh, this week from This American Life, more stories of like whatever whatever, and they're like. I just remember that intro. This week, more stories of This American Life. Yeah. And another super popular one recently, too, that I always see pop up is 99% Invisible. That's really good, too. Yeah. Have you listened to that one? Yeah, with Roman Mars. What's that about? Um, it's about, like, design and architecture and, like, cities. And um, it's got a it's got a thing where it's it's kind of like the, that umbrella, but they do a variety of stories under that umbrella. It can be about like the theory of design, like the theory of colors, like why how how we can see what we see. To like they have another story about um uh, in the Seattle, I think it's called. They were building like a mall in Seattle, and there was this grandma there that would not want to sell her land to like the mall builders, and so they built the mall literally around her house. Around her house. Yeah, because she would oh, not sell this old lady, and it was a really, it was a really good story. There's a like a funny ending, but it's just any the top topics that diverse, and they have really good staff, and staff just kill it. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That that's a super good one. But yeah, shout so shout out to This American Life and Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. Highly recommend everyone listen to those. I think we'll wrap the episode up here. Mm-hmm. But this is a. A really good podcast and if thanks guys, for having me on yeah you're welcome no problem it's good to have you on if anyone has any feedback about what they'd like to hear in upcoming a- episodes you can shoot us a message on twitter now college conversations podcast mm-hmm. or um yeah that's about probably the best way to do it yeah if you've made it this far in the podcast uh, i hope you're subscribed and i hope you will be kind enough to leave a review or mm-hmm. like this episode uh, we'll definitely have John back at some other point. Hey, I'd be happy to produce for this, too. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a really good guy all around, talking, producing, whatnot. Mm. But, uh, yeah, any parting words, John? Uh, thank you for having me on, Ben, and whoever's listening. Keep listening and keep reading. There's always more to know. That's very true. All right. Peace out.